Francisco 49 is deep in the heart. Like Joe Montana in the corner, deep Clark. Garrison Hurst, stiff form going 99. Don't get it twisted, one and all with prime time. John Taylor, Jerry Rice down the sideline. NDB, greatest owner of all time. Gruden, Walgren, Bill Belichick were all students of Bill Walsh. Don't ever forget. I'm Lee Gowland. I'm Brian Davis. And this is the 49er Faithful UK Show. Hi guys, welcome back to another episode of the 49er Faithful UK Show. We're into week five, and this week I think we have a little bit of optimism. And we're going to review, or sorry, we're going to preview the Cardinals game on Sunday. The Cardinals come into Levi's Stadium on the back of a 0-4 record against the 49ers, who were 1-3. and and I think this week uh, we may have a chance of getting another W to go two and three. Out in uh, Santa Clara, we've got Andy and Audrey Smith in attendance, and they've got a lovely looking, a lovely looking, a lovely looking view of the stadium from their hotel room. So when you watch on Sunday night, keep an eye open for the 49er faithful flag. That'll be in attendance at the game. So it's looking to be quite a quite a matchup for the 49ers this week. The Cardinals are coming off the back of a really bad start for them and the, the stats don't really look very good for the Cardinals. We, we think we've been having issues, but the Cardinals at the moment, their offence, they're currently 32nd for points scored, averaging 9.2. They're 32nd for yards, 208.5. And they're both 31st for passing and rushing, um, with passing being 141 and rushing being 67. So I think if we're going to have a chance of getting another W anytime soon, I think this Sunday is a very good opportunity for that W. Definitely. Very confident. Um, although this has got classic trap game written all over it, hasn't it? <laughs> it's, You're right, uh, it does. It would be a good, good, good barometer sort of type uh, to see exactly where we are, I guess, and, and, and where we are on the season. Uh, four and a half point favourites and yeah, very confident, but um, I don't want to count my chickens just yet because, uh, like I say, this is one of those games that, it, you know, the over-under is 40 points. It, it's suggesting that it's going to be very close, low-scoring affair. And uh, potentially, it, it's one of those games that could go either way, even though I, I'm fairly confident. I'm sure there are probably plenty of the uh, so-called experts out there who are probably picking the Cardinals for this win as well. Yeah, I mean, once we get to the predictions at the end of the preview, you'll see that uh, I don't think it's going to be that close a game. Although, having said that, yeah, it, it all depends on how close you think my score margin <laughs> will be, which I'm not going to give away until the end of the preview. So, yeah, I mean, the, the Cardinals coming into Levi Stadium, the, we're on our home turf here. It's a divisional game. We've got a really good chance at uh, getting that W against the Cardinals. They've been pretty poor. They've spent big bringing Sam Bradford in last season. Um, he's had three games this season and they've benched yeah, how did him. that work out for him? <laughs> exactly, yeah. So that's been a lot of money and they've basically dropped him. So Josh Rosen's come in and he's had the, the type of start that you would expect of a rookie. He's had one touchdown, one interception. His accuracy isn't great. I think uh, his completion is 55%. But it's the type of thing you would expect of a rookie. And even though we only game five into the season, reading about what the Cardinals have done, especially with the quarterback situation, it's almost as though they've already given up on this season and decided, let's put the rookie in and see what we've got. Yeah, although I probably wouldn't say that they've given up on the season, but it it makes sense for them to to have a look at him now and put him into these situations. There's no point uh, persisting with Sam Bradford and scoring nine points every game and not going anywhere. They might as well see what they've got, put him in for a ten game spell, and 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 go with it. Um, looking at the, the sort of the overall thing about the game, I think this is could be a, a game where it's an opportunity for our defense to show what they're really made of. I think. In terms of a poor pass rush against a poor O-line, a little bit similar to what we had with uh, the Chargers last week, I would hope that the balance would swing in our favour of the pass rushers, although I'm not, I'm not overly confident about that based on the fact that we didn't do much against uh, the Chargers. So 
you, you know, I'm, I'm sat here with a really big smile on my face because it is almost as though you've read all my notes. <laughs> because I think exactly the same thing as what you've just thought there. I've actually written it down as the main matchups and what could possibly happen, what could go wrong based off what we've already experienced this, this season already. Yeah. Um, I think that the, a bit again, a bit like last week. I think the teams are quite closely matched. It, like, like I said just in just earlier, it could be a close game. It might even be closer than the spread suggests if we aren't as good as we should be, and Arizona are better than they've shown already this season. And looking at the at the way it could be at the at the end of the game, it could be a long way, or it could potentially be a long way to deciding the outcome of the season. We could be two and three heading into games against Green Bay and the Rams or which would then potentially put us at two and five and I don't think we particularly want to be heading into that into those games at one and four possibly heading towards a one and six record because then you're on a slippery slope yeah definitely um so I'm hoping that we're going to have some of our guys back that have been on the injury list this week I think by the sounds of things Richburg, Stady, McGlinchey have been on there but it sounds like they're working their way back uh, I know on Wednesday's practice, I think they were just out, not in full contact. Um, I think Goodwin, Breeder and Morris, etc. They've been on there as well. So it, it's quite a lengthy injury list again. And yeah, I think there's... the only player that's definitely looking as, as though he is definitely out, and that's Pettis, who hasn't practiced at all this week. Yeah, Pettis is, de- Pettis is definitely out. But if those players don't um, come through, we could be in a right old pickle on Sunday. And from what I was listening to on the radio earlier, it sounds like Staley is probably the one who's the most least likely to play. Um, but obviously, we're still hoping that he's going to come through and be fit. Um, Tart and Colbert were both back in full practice as well, as well as Garnett on the O-line. So that potentially is a is a gain for us. And Sherman as well. I've been reading this week that he's been involved with the uh, the practices so he could potentially be a sneaky starter on Sunday. Yeah, so Sherman was a limited participant yesterday and they're expecting him being a full participant today, which mm. would suggest that if he's going to be a full participant today then he should be he should definitely be suited on Sunday. Yeah. Whether or not the stardom is a different matter. They may want to keep him on the sideline and only use him if absolutely necessary just to give him that extra week to come back from from that injury. Yeah. Yeah. So when we look at the Cardinals offense, it's been fairly disappointing in one aspect. Well, it hasn't been disappointing for them. Oh yeah, yeah. So I was just about to say that. <laughs> I'm loving it. However, I always think about fantasy football every time I look at this. So from a Cardinals point of view, um Johnson is getting off to quite a bad start this year. He isn't really doing it the same as he was last year. And historically, they've always had a really good rushing O-line. I mean, they've got Mikey Patty there, who looks a shadow of his former self. He's underwhelmed the season by his own standards. Johnson is really struggling and only seems to be average at best when the fullback Coleman's on the field. He seemed to, he seems to make a, a huge difference to his running when they use a fullback, which I don't believe the Cardinals used to do that last year. I, th- I think it was all on Johnson's own back to to make the runs. And then you look out wide; they've got Fitzgerald, and again, he he isn't the player he used to be. He is getting on now, and he does look a poor shadow of his former self again. But maybe that's because of the quarterback player. Yeah, sure. and I don't think we can take Fitzgerald for granted. I know he's been suffering with, with injuries this season already, but it's statistically, I think he's the all-time leader, all-time receiving leader and all-time touchdown scorer against us in all of NFL history. Yeah, so that, that doesn't surprise us. Despite his uh, his uh, onward, or, you know, getting up there in years now, it's uh, he's not someone that we can uh, write off lightly in the game. And obviously, you know, Arizona are um, transitioning over from... A, a very poor quarterback to to a rookie quarterback. So they've done absolutely nothing when Bradford was a quarterback. Uh, Rosen was obviously very, very highly thought of coming out of the draft. A lot of the draft experts, or quote-unquote experts, had him possibly as the best quarterback in the draft this year. So 
it'll be I'd like to think we're going to make it tough for him uh, he seems to be decent pocket passer from the very very brief highlights that I've seen I've not actually had time to sit and watch any of the Cardinals games but he seems to have sort of uh, seems to be a decent progression reader looks a little bit elusive and he seems to have a couple of or he seems to have a decent deep deep ball as well from like I say the little brief bits that I've seen so again it's nothing that we can take for granted because just because it's a rookie quarterback coming in on his first road start um, they don't appear to have done like you say anything in the run blocking game um, but then that just lines itself up for Johnson to potentially have a big day if we struggle with our tackling again and uh, that's something that Again, on the defensive side of the ball, obviously we're going to have to improve if if we're going to win this game. Because despite it getting better in the first half on last Sunday against the Chargers, in the second half there was still a few missed tackles that we left out there. And uh, it always seemed to be on third down conversions or on long conversions where at the, at the time where it mattered the most that we were seeming to, to miss those crucial tackles again. So again, it's something that we need to keep trying to iron out as the as the season goes on. Yeah, and hopefully that this extra week they have managed to iron that out or, or at least get it down to maybe it's one or two missed tackles a game. Uh, and that should increase our chances of uh, getting the win on Sunday. That coupled with the fact we, we've got a rookie quarter, uh, quarterback, we're going up against an O-line that isn't particularly good. Like you've already mentioned, I mean, we we've struggled to actually put the pressure on the quarterbacks this season. Mm. We didn't do too badly the first game against the Vikings, but then it disappeared. If that can come back this Sunday, then there's no reason with having a rookie year quarterback to go for, there's no reason we can force them into some really bad decisions. If we can get the pressure, even if we're not sacking them, if we can hurry them and make them throw the ball too early or make a bad decision, throw into coverage, then we could potentially have a decent game on defence and that might get the confidence up of the likes of uh, Witherspoon, Ward. Uh, and that that might have a bigger impact on our season than just getting the injured players back. Yeah, and you've definitely got to try and get in his head early. You've got to force the pressure. I don't know whether they're going to come blitz heavy on, on the first couple of possessions that Arizona have the ball, but they need to do something. But I'm also aware that they don't want to be um, overdoing it. Um, they don't want to be sort of dreaming up too much exotic play calling because if you go all out and he starts hitting receivers in their stride five, six, seven yards past the line of scrimmage, you're, you're just going to make it too easy for him. So the, it's it's just about getting that balance right of uh, of when to blitz, when not to blitz, and just like like we said, you've got to try and get the pressure on a rookie quarterback making his first. Uh, first road start in the NFL and you, you've got to try and, and go out and, and force mistakes and force the pressure on him and it seems to be something that you know we're, we're sort of saying on a weekly basis now that and it almost sounds silly doesn't it because you're just talking about trying to get the basics of the game you know done yeah. on, on the field and it just seems to me that, uh, you know, not just to me but to most of us that we, we can't get some of the basics right at the minute and until we get the basics right we can't really expect to be going anywhere like we're going to be going in the next two weeks against Green Bay and, and at home to the Rams and, and winning games. Because if we if we can't get these basics right against some of the poorer teams in the NFL, then we're going to really struggle against, you know, teams who have got playoff aspirations and teams who are going to be uh, heading deep into postseason football. So the blitz-heavy approach, that is something that this week Robert Sala has attributed to the um, Solomon Thomas player last week where he was caught out in coverage against Antonio Gates. And mm. what he'd said is they'd already done that same approach twice during the game on third down uh, both times, and it was successful. But nobody noticed the approach when it was successful, only when it wasn't successful. And Solomon mm. Thomas had to run back and try and get hold of Gates. And what he was saying is they appreciate it's a high-risk, high-reward strategy. So the first two times they tried it, they managed to get the defense off the field. Uh, and stopped them on third down, so they had to punt. Unfortunately, the one that uh, looked absolutely ridiculous, and everybody was saying, what, what on earth is Thomas in coverage for? That was the one that showed up, and, and yeah. nobody actually recognised that approach earlier on in the game. So from a defensive point of view for the 49ers going up against this offence, 
you've already said that, that the D-line's got a good matchup there. Hopefully, they'll, they'll actually be able to turn up like they did against the Vikings and make a difference. The position I'm more interested in this week, or the player, rather, is Greg Mabin and whether or not he starts at cornerback. And if he does start, who does he replace? Does he replace Spoon or Ward? I don't think he's going to start. I think he'll be involved, but I don't think he's going to start. I think he's uh, gently being phased into into that secondary. But I, to me, I don't don't think he's going to start. I don't believe he's going to start. I think they'll pretty much keep it as it is, and they're, they're going to use him in situations where they feel, you know, he's best up against the, you know, the offense that Arizona are putting out on the field. I I, I don't believe he's uh, going to start straight away this early in the season. So if he's not starting. And Sherman does come back. Who drops down to the bench? Is it going to be Witherspoon? Is it going to be Ward? I think Witherspoon will play, or Witherspoon will start, and then Ward will probably drop down. And I, I think that they'll 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 use them in if if all of them are fit. I think they're going to use them all in, like I say, in rotation, depending on what schemes and what packages Arizona are putting out there. I mean, we saw a bit of that against the Chargers, didn't we? Maybe was in, maybe was back out. Ward was yeah. in, Ward was out. So I think you know Salah's going to use those cornerbacks and defensive back based on on what Arizona are doing I, I can't see I don't believe that Mabin is going to start but that's, that's my view I think he's going to want the uh, the you know all the more experienced guys out there and if Sherman's back it's, it's going to be a huge plus for us yeah definitely um, and the players coming back from injury it, it makes the the starting players an intriguing situation so we've got Corbett and Tart. They've both had full practices on Wednesday and Thursday. Um, I, th- I think there was an interview given that said if Corbett's fit, Corbett will start. Mm-hmm. But you look at the job that Exum has done, and I know Exum's subbing for Tart, not Corbett. But you look at the job that Exum has done, and would you say that Corbett or Tart is necessarily guaranteed a start given the two performances that he's put in? I think Corbett and Tart are both be straight back in. And I think Exum will be, again, probably coming in at, at different times when they feel he's he's better based on what Arizona are doing. Uh, but I think if you've got your two starters who started the season and they've done, they've not been great, have they? But they've not been awful. So yeah, I, so... I think that the two that started the season, if, if you've got your strongest uh, defense and your strongest safeties, I think the, the wise decision is to put them out until... A bit like what we saw with uh, Witherspoon, and until they start showing that they're not good enough for whatever reason, or they're taking bad angles, or they're missing tackles, or they're letting receivers get beyond them and and, uh, and make completions past them, then I think you've got you've got to go with what you what your sort of starting starting eleven is, for want of a better phrase, and then see what happens from there. So, what sort of message does that send through the the locker room when you have a player like Exum, who's performed absolutely excellently or excellently over the last two weeks and you do put somebody in like Colbert or Tart. Not not so much Tart. Tart hasn't been that bad. But I think mm. Colbert's had a real stinker of a start to this season. And I know he's turned around himself and said he's his he is his own biggest critic. And he was having a go at some of the fans who uh private messaging him, telling them that he's absolutely no good. He <laughs> he needs to leave. Um, but he has had a, a little bit of a stinker this season. Yeah, he's been carrying an injury though as well, though, hasn't he? He uh, has. I know that's, yeah. it's, not, it's not an excuse, and it, he shouldn't be using it as an excuse. And I, and I don't believe he has used it as an excuse. But you got to remember, someone like Exxon was walking, well, not walking the streets, but he, he, you know, he wasn't even a, on a roster, was he? Three, three, four weeks ago. You know, he's basically come in and uh, he's filled in. He's filled in admirably, but to me. You know, Tart and Colbert were starting safeties at, at the start of the season. They they were pretty decent, both of them last season. I, I think you've got to you, you've got to go with those two to start, and then see what happens. Like I say, it, it might all go spectacularly tits up in the first quarter, and, and before we know it, Exum and Mabin and those guys are, are in. But if it's me, I, I'm I'm playing Colbert and Tart personally. Right. That's that's the way I'm looking at yeah. it. Any other observations on the 49ers defense? No, not really. It's, uh, it's uh, tackling, isn't it? Tackling and coverage. It's uh, and pass rush. 
it's, it's, it's the, getting the basics right to try and help. So you mean everything? <laughs> yeah, pretty much everything. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All, all around, we need to improve. Until they start doing getting those basics right, it, I think those three things are going to be the the constant sort of uh, thorn in our side, aren't they? They, they are, and I know I've mentioned this before, but there's going to come to a point where you, you have to look at Robert Sala and basically think, is his head up and be on the block? Because if this continues, and, and it's the basics we're talking about, if it does continue, then something has to happen. Something's got to change. It can't be all of the players. No. It, it's got to be the way they're practising or the way that the players are coming across to them. So something needs to happen. Yeah, and something may happen, but it's not going to get any easier, is it? <laughs> you no, look at that definitely vaccine, not. You look at the schedule that's coming up. It, it's, uh, you know, it's tough. The NFL's tough. It's. Uh, I, I don't think they'll make a change mid-season. I think they're just going to have to persist with what they've got, uh, both coordinator-wise and personnel-wise, and and go from there. And, and let's face it, Salah's had a good career. He's, uh, you know, what was he? Seahawks linebacker. Yeah, Seahawks. Linebacker's coach, wasn't he? Jackson yeah, Jackson was, yeah. was linebacker coach as well. So he's worked on, in recent times, to two of the better defences in the NFL. So I'd like to think that he can transition that knowledge with the players that he's had there. And yes, you can say that easily he hasn't got the talent that he's got at the 49ers as what he had at Jacksonville and uh, Seattle. So if I think if you give him, give him more talent in defence... Have a look at it, but that's that's a discussion for next season. Uh, I don't think they'll do anything this year, but that's just uh, that's just uh, that's just that's just my my way of thinking. I, I just don't think that it's uh, it's the way we're going to do things now. Yeah, so I don't I don't think there'll be any in season changes. No, maybe in the off season, but definitely not in season. They'll give him every opportunity to turn this round, get it right. They'll appreciate the fact that he's only a second year DC, and because of the timeline for actually being competitive, not being until the end of the third season, and that's all of next season as well, yeah, and that's something they all agreed to as an organisation. I think you'll have plenty of plenty of leeway there. Well, he was a quality control coach in Seattle, wasn't he? So you'd like to think that if you're the quality control coach at a team that in that period have won a Super Bowl, that's got to count for something, surely regardless of how many tackles and stuff we're missing and, and jumping offside and 12 men on defence and stuff, that, that, that's that got to come to the fore to to, ha- to hold that position at such a an established team who've won a Super Bowl in a defensive role. That has to transition over to the 49ers, surely. Well, the, the good news about those penalties that you've just mentioned there, the Cardinals have one more penalty than we do over oh, wow. the season. However, I think theirs works out at being 40 yards less. So ours were bigger penalties. <laughs> but huh. yeah, they've got one more than us. So they're a heavily penalised team as well. Mm. So under the Cardinals' defence, the first thing that uh, stands out to me is they've got three decent quarterback, uh, cornerbacks. Uh, and when I say three decent cornerbacks, they've got one who's elite, Peterson. Yep. But the other two are pretty good as well. So I think it's going to make the passing game difficult. And I think we may need to rely quite heavily in the opening stages of the game on the run game. Yeah, I mean, the last two games, they've only given up 16 points to Chicago and 20 to Seattle last week, wasn't it? So their defence is uh, performing. They're constantly pressuring quarterbacks. I think I was reading earlier in the week that they blitz about 38 39% of the time. So if you combine the fact that they're blitzing pretty much 40% of the time and we've got guys on our O-line who are banged up, <laughs> yeah, we, we could be under siege at times. And there's a, looking at it, there's a real chance that further injuries could happen or, and, you know, and CJ could be running for his life at times. <laughs> because yeah. that, that's, that is frightening. They're blitzing 40% of the time and our O-line is struggling with pass blocking. It doesn't bear thinking about what, what the worst outcome of this game could be. Yeah, the the injuries thing I've got in my notes as well. So yeah, we could see a lot more injuries in this game. Mm. So yeah, I mean they are the blitzing quite a bit. Um, they're the tenth rated 
pass defense in the league. One interesting stat is they're only 31st in rush. And yeah, they can't the stop fact, the run at all. That's right. And given the fact that we sixth in rush, and, and we are pretty good at uh, running the ball now, that could actually be the way that we open up the passing game by basically chucking that ball down the throat with the run game so often that they try and stack the box and then open up some uh, running lanes. Sorry, some passing lanes. Yeah. Um, I've got down on my note that the way that we win the game is they can't stop the run. We can run the ball. And that's how we take pressure off CJ. Yeah. That, that to me, is, is as simple as that. That's how we're going to win the game on uh, Sunday, is with a run game. And like you say, that, that run game will then open up some of the passing lanes, get your play action going, and we win. So moving on from the cornerbacks, who they've got three good cornerbacks if they play nickel, it's going to be tough to get the ball past them. Mm. You look at the two safeties, and they've got two really decent safeties there, one of them which we know of, Bethea, and it was the Bethea position, or Bethea being on the field, which is where I've put in my notes. Hard, clean hit could see some injuries coming. <laughs> because, as you know, I mean, when he came in, he, he was very much the same sort of player as what uh, Dante Wittner was, but he didn't draw the penalty flag. Yeah. But I don't think his, well, his, his best years are beyond him as well now. I think that's someone that we can expose. We've got, we know what he's capable of. We know where his weak, weaknesses are. He's potentially someone that we could uh, we could go after. That's the way I'm looking at that matchup with him out there. You know, there's a reason why he's he's gone. So we've got to use that to our advantage. Well, I hope you're right because in fantasy football, he's scoring some points. <laughs> is he really? He is. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, he's. I think he's in the forties so far. Okay. And that's not bad as a defensive player. No, no, not at all. Especially defensive back. Yeah. So under the linebackers, uh, Bynes and Reddick are having. So this is interesting. This Bynes and Reddick are having a statistically good season. Uh-huh. Now, as I recall, when you see that, a lot of the times you see that, you can attribute that to how bad their defensive line is, because the runs going straight through the defensive line, and they're running on them all the time, which is why they're getting the yards. Yeah, and it's forcing the linebackers to make the tackles. Obviously, once they get the tackles, their stats go through the roof. And they look as though you've got two great linebackers because they're stopping people left, right, and centre. But it's because the defensive line can't stop them. And even though the linebackers are, are stopping the runners going through, they're still getting six, seven yards every single time. Mm. And like you said, that's where we can win the game. That's where we're going to win the game, yeah, definitely. Without a shadow of a doubt, that's where we're going to win the game. Right, so onto the 49ers' offense. I think we've already mentioned quite a bit of it, but yeah, the the O line, if fit, should be able to handle the card steel line without too much pressure getting through to CJ. I'd like which, to think so, yes. Which, which I think CJ will be over the moon with, <laughs> given some of the hits he took last week. Um, obviously, out of the O line, the, there's only Steely that hasn't practiced this week, and th- they did mention that. He may be limited in practice today. Obviously, we're not going to know for, I think, the next eight hours if he did practice at all. Yeah. And I think if all of the others are fit, I can probably see Steely missing this Sunday. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I thought of something literally just off the top of my head that I hope that uh, someone in Santa Clara has got someone from the San Francisco Giants in this week to teach TJ how to slide. <laughs> because when he takes off on his runs he needs to be sliding as if he's coming into home base rather than extending out to try and get a base hit to first base Yeah, because he can't be taking the hits that he took last week as, as fun as it was to watch and as much as we admired the toughness of him the realistic situation is if he goes down our whole season potentially goes down so I'm expecting less of the tough runs and more sliding when he does take off. And as long as he's protecting the ball when he is sliding, that's definitely going to be a good thing. We can't be seeing what we saw last week with him on the field receiving treatment and Mullins coming on, taking his 
first snaps and, and warming up, potentially putting the whole season on ice. Yeah, whenever CJ runs, he reminds me of Alex Smith a little bit because when he does dive, <laughs> he tends to dive head first. Yeah. And, I mean, that, that's what basically ended uh, Alex Smith's career at the 49ers when he took Smith, a head injury. Yeah, I think Alex Smith actually had someone from the San Francisco Giants come down to try and teach him how to slide many, many years ago. Having now thought about that off the top of my head. I'm sure that happened. Yeah. I'll have to look that up at some point. But yeah, I'm sure that's actually happened. And he does actually remind me a similar kind of thread that he does remind me a little bit of Alex Smith, but I think at this point of his career, he's better now than where Smith was at this point in Smith's career. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree. However, remembering where Smith was or who Smith had round him and the coaching <sighs> staff then. That was awful, wasn't it? Yeah, it was awful. Those were dark, dark days. Yeah. Um, so, but in terms of the game overall, I'm definitely more worried about the pass rush in the secondary than I am CJ being the quarterback. Yeah, I would agree with that as well. Yeah. Uh, I'm quite comfortable to see you at quarterback. Yeah. yeah. I think if, if he can continue the sort of upward curve that he's on, he can continue to hit receivers in the tight windows that he showed last week with, uh, you know, like the Bourne touchdown. And if he's leading receivers in stride, as he did with Kittle and a couple of the other guys, Garcon, notably in the third quarter, continue to get the wide receivers involved in the game. And the pass protection is going to need to improve because obviously the run the run blocking is doing very very well but if, if he can continue on that upward curve then this is a, a good a good game for him to you know increase his confidence going into you know a tougher stage of the of the season coming up yeah yeah so do we think this game's going to be a game where Breda gets another 100 yard game yeah yeah, yeah, I think the statistics point itself to Breeder and Morris having an absolute feast of a day on the ground. Um, Breeder could well be back up in the top of the NFL rushing charts by about one o'clock our time Monday morning. And I think that's even against the stat box. And I think, you know, if you look at Kyle's play calling and CJ being himself, I think they're going to, the Cardinals going to test us one-on-one with those matchups. And we need to try and look to create mismatches in in that secondary area. Like we say, with the, if we can use the, particularly the, the play action and get the running game going and you know, the play action with Goodwin deep downfield, that run game then gets to take the pressure off of CJ. And I think that lends itself again to him having a good game. And I think that's something that we're going to say a lot this season if we're going to compete for the rest of the year. It's, it's about getting this running game going. It's about having a good play action game. And it's about testing you know the secondary with the likes of Goodwin deep downfield. And that goes without saying that it's all injury dependent, of course. And if we're winning throughout this game, I'd like to see Breeder having close to, if not more than 20 touches, with a healthy chunk going to Morris and Juice as well. So if both Breeder and Morris have a decent game on the ground and do open up the, the pass game, do you think CJ has been told to keep the ball away from Peterson under all circumstances? Or do you think Kyle's turned around and said, just hit your open receiver, regardless of who the cornerback is. He's going to take whatever the Cardinals give him. I, I think I don't think he's going to specifically go out and completely avoid Peterson because it depends who Peterson ends up putting himself on as well, doesn't it? If Peterson starts coming across and uh, shadowing uh, Goodwin or even Kittle at any any point, I think he's going to he's going to be forced to test him. Yeah, yeah, agreed. I, I, couldn't, re- I couldn't really see him coming across to cover kill. No, I think it's going to be unlikely, but you just never know, do you? Yeah, I think it'll either be Garcon or Goodwin. Yeah, um, and I, I think this is an easy one to cause a bit of a tap in, but I think Kittle is set to have another good game. Obviously, being you know his number one target. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, it's sort of safety blanket, isn't it? Yeah, Kittle's currently ranked twentieth in receiving yards in the in the whole of the NFL. Yeah, I think there's only one tight end currently ahead of him, and I can't remember who that was. I didn't put it down in my notes, but yeah, he's ranked twentieth overall in reception yards. Yeah, and let's not forget that Seattle's third choice running back put over a hundred yards on the Cardinals last week. Yeah, so if we can't do that, then uh, something's definitely gone wrong. So is Garcon getting his first touchdown on Sunday? <laughs> Uh, he's overdue. Go on, now, jinx, isn't him. He? jinx him. Jinx him. No, I'm not going to jinx. No, 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 no. Definitely not going to jinx anyone. He's overdue. That's all I'm going to say. He is overdue. Yeah. 
Um, in terms of the running game, uh, just while we're sort of on that point, I just wonder whether there's any benefit in Kyle having some form of help. Or is, have we got a run game coordinator? I don't know. I should have looked that up before we started. But maybe some help would possibly be good. I don't know. What do you think about that? Because injuries sure. obviously haven't helped. And the game management at times has been sketchy. And I think you said last week that we probably could have won a couple of those tight games last year had our play calling been better and had we not had key penalties. And obviously we've got sort of some game flow problems, clock management and 12 men on the field and things like that. I just wondered whether there's any value of potentially having some kind of, like, a bit like the uh, Salah with the um, quality control, whether they, we've got an, like a, an offensive quality control guy or someone who's just in his ear saying, run the ball, <laughs> rather than sort of getting into the situations that we got in before half time on, you know, last Sunday where we get yeah. pretty much give the charges the three points. Yeah, I think I think that would be beneficial, definitely. Mm-hmm. It was always going to be a hard task for Kyle to come in and basically do two high-level positions as head coach. Yeah, he's coach doing full-time jobs, isn't he? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, he's doing two full-time jobs. So it was always going to be difficult. I think he has actually done a lot better than I was expecting. Uh, th- that's pleasing. Yeah. Um, as far as anybody who could possibly help him do that, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know who would... Who we could possibly suggest? I mean, yeah. dare you even turn around and say his dad? Yeah. I mean that that would be the perfect, perfect person to bring in. The yeah. experience he has, it's. I think. Yeah, just just sat in a booth saying this is an obvious running situation, Kyle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's just just something that I kind of uh, just pondered over the week. You know, when you when you sort of look at the game back and you watch some of the highlights again from the previous game and then you're sort of thinking about what to sort of put in on these podcasts it's just uh, something that I thought about so yeah so one last bit for me on the offense and that is Kendrick Bourne Kendrick Bourne's had two decent games Um, hopefully he can kick on and have another good game against the Cardinals if we're going to have a three receiver set you're probably looking at Goodwin Bourne and Garcon being on there and I think we can really see what he's made of in that type of situation mm. because as I've previously said the Cardinals have got three decent cornerbacks obviously one elite cornerback and it'll be interesting to see how he does against a decent quarterback sorry a decent cornerback yeah and not not forgetting um, Richie James may come off the practice squad and uh, be active this Sunday as well so that's uh, potentially someone else that we could uh, Seeing those kind of duties either on the outside or in the slot. Yeah. Yeah. But definitely. yeah, Bourne's one of those sort of sneaky guys who's in, seemingly has sort of three for 30 yards and a touchdown every sort of three or four games and doesn't really probably get the credit that he uh, he deserves. Well, he certainly impressed me over the last two weeks. Yeah. Yeah, his dancing's spot on. <laughs> <laughs> right. Over under. Um, the, the the figure is currently at 40. Yeah. So, obviously, the over-under is probably... Well, it might not give us an idea about your prediction. So, let's just start with an over-under. It's about right, I reckon. It kind of lends itself to that 2017 or 2019 type game and hitting the under. I don't think it's going to be a particularly high-scoring game that we will win. And I want to say, because we scored 30, 27, 27 against the Lions, the Chiefs and the Chargers, that there's no reason why we can't go into the 30s in this game. And part of me thinks and wants to predict that we will. But I'm going to rein myself in. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And I'm going to say that if Stady plays, we're going to win (sighs) 31-16. If... If right. he doesn't, so you're I going think it's over. going to be much... Yeah, I think we're going to go with the over and we're going to easily beat the spread if Staley plays. If he doesn't, I think it's going to be much, much closer. I think he's that key to our O-line. And if he right. doesn't play and we do win, I think it will be a much lower scoring and I think it potentially might sneak under the, you know, underneath the, the 40 points. But at the minute... 
I'm assuming he's playing and we're going to win. And we're going to win 31-16. That's my prediction. Okay, so the benefit of everybody listening, <laughs> we, we have not collaborated on this prediction. No, we haven't. I, I didn't know what your score prediction was, whether you're going over or under. You didn't know what mine was. No, for purposes of podcast preparation, I literally send Lee a text in a day and say, right, these are sort of my talking points. It's mainly going to be X, Y, Z, A, B, C, one, two, three. And that's about it. And then we literally come on and then we not almost hit record straight away, but we uh, have a little chat and then that's it. And none of this is discussed before. Right. So I'm going over. We, we, I think we'll definitely get over the, uh, the 40 uh, between the two scores. Yeah, and my my prediction is thirty seventeen. <laughs> so it's going to be very interesting to see what that was. <laughs> I, I nearly went with twenty seven seventeen. Yeah, I, I thought you know. Yeah, I thought the vein of form that Robbie Gould's in, we can move the ball. It's sometimes when we get down the red zone where we have issues. Yeah, and that's why I thought you know what. 27-17 sounds about right for me, mm-hmm. g- given the matchups that we're going to come against. But then I kept on thinking about Robbie Gould, and I was thinking, is he only going to get one field goal? No, this that's is not going to happen. Yeah, I was having an hour about that. I didn't know whether to go 30 with three field goals or 31 with just the one and the extra points. So that's, that's I'm going to I'm going to be very confident and go four touchdowns and a field goal. But um, these are the games we need to be winning and making a bit of a statement. Um, even despite not having Jimmy G out there, this, you know, that kind of win can show that we aren't the whipping boys and the cannon fodder of the NFL. Yeah. And when you look at it, we're exactly where we thought we were going to be at this point of the season. Pretty much most of us would have had us at um, two and three um, after this game, obviously. Let's hope that we are two and three. And after this game, obviously, we go to Green Bay, then we host the Rams. To my, to my way of thinking, two and five is obviously much more palatable than one and six. Um. You know, and then we're going into games against the Cards again, and then we've got home games against Oakland and the Giants. So, if we win this game, get a bit of confidence, compete as best we can against uh, the Packers and the Rams, win those three games in a row. This is a huge ask, obviously, but that's five and five then. And a defeat in this one will probably put more doubts about where we are after those ten games than where I feel and how I feel about where we are right now as a team. Yeah, I, I don't say this is a defeat at all on Sunday. No. It, it, if we do get defeated, uh, get defeated. If we do lose, then you're right. Then, then you seriously have to look at this and think, well, hang on here. We should never have been beaten by then. Yeah. I mean, we were talking about this game too. Week two of the season against Lions. We, we shouldn't be getting beat by then. It was far too close. Yeah. When you look at the Lions, the Lions are a much, much better team than what the Cardinals are. Well, yeah, they've just been beat the Patriots a couple of weeks ago, haven't they? So. Yeah. So if if the Cardinals come into come into Levi's and beat us, then we do have serious issues, mm. and it's 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 not just a thing that another off season free agency and the draft is going to fix. If we get beat of the Cardinals this Sunday, we do have some serious issues. Yeah. And now that we've depressed everyone, <laughs> let's go into some tips. So the pleasing thing I saw during the week, we've had some feedback about the podcast. Um, there's a few people either over there now or going over, and they've said that they've really enjoyed the tips. And it was something we were going to do anyway, every single uh, week. We weren't particularly going to do it every episode, but I think we've got that many tips. We can easily do it every episode. So I think starting off with my tips, and I'm not going to go food and drink this week either, or this episode, staying away from food and drink. Um, so I'm actually going to mention something that was mentioned in the group only yesterday, and that was about the 18T Park Tour. Yeah. It is absolutely fantastic. I would thoroughly recommend you do that tour. It's a fantastic baseball stadium, and it's really interesting to learn about why it was built in the way it was built, mm-hmm. because it's one of only a few places within San Francisco that has designated a, an earthquake disaster zone because yeah. of the way the stadium's been built. and. Hopefully it hasn't changed over the last four or five years. But when I went, I didn't book. I didn't even know about the stadium tour. I just wanted to go down and take some photos. It was the very first time I'd been over there. I happened to be down there at quarter to ten on a Saturday morning. And I was still talking to this family who who stood waiting to go on the tour. So we got talking about it and said, oh, yeah, it's only $20. 
it's about an hour and a half, two hours. Uh, you'll absolutely love it. So I popped in literally 15 minutes before it was due to start and said, yeah, no problem, $20. Here's your ticket. Um, and enjoy. And it was. It was an absolutely fantastic tour. So I would thoroughly recommend that. Definitely. And it's probably one of the best views in all of sport, not just in America, in all of, all of sport. When you get up in the, uh, in those top, in the top tier behind yeah, home plate. Bleed. Yeah, that view is astonishing. And you'd be forgiven for just sitting and watching the boats go by, looking over at Oakland, watching, you know, everything just happening in front of you that isn't going on in the baseball game because the view is astonishing up there. It's absolutely incredible. And it, I'd say to anyone, if you're out there between April and September, and hopefully October, <laughs> then go and see the Giants and go and watch a baseball game out there because it's brilliant. And people moan it's boring, yada, yada, yada. But if, if you're out there, you've got three, four hours to kill and you fancy having a few beers, eating some popcorn and nuts and hot dogs and everything, yeah, absolutely. Just get down there, get stuck in, get onto the bleachers as well. Bleachers are great fun if you're really into a boozed-up sport-filled afternoon. Or if, you want to, you know, if, you're, if you're feeling a bit more flash, then go behind home base and just enjoy the view and watch and enjoy the view while there's sport going on in front of you. Cause yeah, it's an absolutely fantastic place. Amazing stadium. And yeah, the tour, I just rocked up the first time I went there and, and uh, they were running a tour in sort of 25 minutes, half an hour. So yeah, I just booked myself on it, bought a ticket and yeah, it was one of the best hour and a half, two hours that I've spent in, in San Francisco completely. Absolutely love the place. Yep. Absolutely fantastic. So that was my number one tip today. My yep. number two tip is if there's any runners in, in the group who are going to go over to San Francisco for a game, um, not sure whether you're aware, but there is a park run over in San Francisco, and it's at Chrissy Field. And Chrissy Field is the, the grassed area just before you get to the Golden Gate Bridge, and I'll thoroughly recommend doing that park run. It's about a two-mile jog from the P39 area, um, and it must be the most scenic park run in the world. On the outward dare leg, you run towards the Golden Gate Bridge and then you swing round. You do kind of a bit of a loop. So part of the, the return journey is, again, towards the Golden Gate Bridge. But then you cut back and start running towards Alcatraz. And it just looks absolutely fantastic. And it's completely flat. Not a bit of elevation whatsoever. As long as it's not windy, it's an absolutely fantastic run to do. And you'll thoroughly enjoy it. So I think the first one that came into my head that I hadn't discussed yet, which I'm amazed I haven't discussed yet because I mentioned it to absolutely anybody who goes to San Francisco, and that's to go to Sausalito. If you're looking to get out the hustle and bustle of the city and you want to go and have a look at the Golden Gate Bridge, you'd be foolish if you didn't go down the hill into Sausalito and then just sit on the dock of a bay, as Otis yeah. Redding once sang about, and where he wrote the song, and just watch, again, watch the world go by. You can just waste not waste, you can just spend hours there. And if you, there's loads of places to eat. There's some nice bars. There's some really nice food down there. And it, it's a little bit touristy, and it, but it's not as in your face as sort of, you know, the pier areas of San Francisco and stuff. And you can just sit down there and you mind your own business, and it's just so peaceful. And the view in front of you, again, is stunning. It's just one of, one of the best places that I've ever been to in the world. It's just... Yeah, it's just a stunning place. Amazing. Um, beautiful. I would recommend anyone that go to Sausalito. And even if they, even if you take the bus trip down there, the open top bus, go across the Golden Gate Bridge, just make sure you get off at Sausalito because it's, uh, it's an incredible place. And if you are going to do that uh, and, and go to Sausalito and you don't want to use the bus, you can actually combine it with a walk over the Golden Gate Bridge. Yeah, there you go. So yeah. you can walk over the Golden Gate Bridge and then down into Sausalito and then get the ferry back to the ferry building afterwards. Yeah. Uh, and then you're all the way back downtown straight away again. So you can combine the two. And if you're, feeling, if you're, if you're full of money, you can stay in Sausalito and catch a bus over to a Giants game. Because they do do a, a, a bus. Did I say bus? I meant ferry. You can catch the I ferry. I was thinking that. A, yeah, you catch a ferry to a Giants game from there as well. Right. Although, if it goes to extra innings, <laughs> you have to leave to, to get your ferry back. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, and then the second one for me is if I'm going to, I'm going to, if you're not going down the food route, I'm going to go down the food route. Um, there's a place in San Francisco called Laura's Diner, and it's on Mason Street near Union Square, and it's a 1950s style diner. Uh, the kind of place where you go in, a steak and a shake, and if you sit at the bar, the steak gets cooked in front of you uh, by the chef. Uh, it's not particularly expensive, and it's just a nice place to, to, to go. It's a bit of a throwback, obviously, with a 50s theme in and everything. And, yeah, just a, a lovely place to go. It's uh, quite chilled out, although if you go at the wrong time, there will be a line outside because it's quite a popular place. So, yeah, that would be somewhere for me that I would recommend if you're in Union Square, part of San Francisco, to go and eat in. Fantastic. I've got that down on my list now, then. Because um, <laughs> I've never been to Laurie's Diner. Oh, Laurie's Diner is fantastic. Yeah. Uh, and as you might have guessed, I like my food. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I said I wasn't going to mention food or drink at all, but when we started talking about AT&T, AT&T Park and actually going to see a game, so I've never actually been there to see a game. I, I've always been out of season. Okay. Um, but I keep on getting told about the world's famous garlic fries. Gilroy garlic sell. fries, yeah. So I think any, anybody that goes out there, you need to try these, and I definitely need to try them. I need to get out there during baseball season, hopefully one September, because it's the best possible month for me to go out there and yeah. take in both baseball and football. Yep. And there's quite a unique smell in around AT&T Park when there's baseball on because you get the whiff of the garlic fries coming out of all of the vendors' uh, food trucks and all the vendors around the uh, the stadium there. And you also get the whiff of cannabis as it... <laughs> As it drifts across the stadium, and those two smells merge as one, and it's quite a unique uh, experience, I would say, if you're in San Francisco. Yeah, you'll soon get used to the whiff of uh, cannabis wherever you go in San Francisco. Yeah, yeah, but when it mixes with those garlic fries, that's quite a combination. I can imagine. (laughs) Right, guys, thanks for listening again. It's been a pleasure doing the podcast. Hopefully on Monday morning, we'll be discussing another win. Hopefully so, yeah. Well, I don't know about Monday morning, Monday afternoon maybe. Yeah, Monday afternoon, (laughs) yeah. Monday morning, we might have hangovers. No, won't be be too over on a Monday morning. Right, thanks for listening again. My name's Lee Gowland. My name's Brian Davis. See you next week, guys. See ya. Francisco 49 is deep in the heart, like Joe Montana in the corner, deep Clark, Garrison Hurst, Stiff Farm going 99, don't get it twisted, one and all with prime time, John Taylor, Jerry Rice down the sideline, NDB, greatest owner of all time, Gruden, Walgreens, Bill Belichick, we're all students of Bill Walsh, don't ever forget.